0: Hey listeners, before we get to this episode of Problem Solvers, here is a word from our sponsor. Whether you need digital tools so you can bank on the go, or you need a one on one with an experienced business banker with PNC Bank, you got it. PNC's business banking team is built entirely around the way you like to do business innovative mobile tools that let you manage your cash flow, monitor your payments, and more around the clock give you the flexibility that every business owner needs. And PNC combines those digital tools with a team of business bankers who are ready to sit down and talk about the unique needs of your business and help you develop personalized strategies to move your business forward. Learn how PNC Bank can make a difference for you and your business at pnc.com slash bank your way. PNC Bank, National Association member FDIC. And now, on with the show. From Entrepreneur Media, this is Problem Solvers, a show in which entrepreneurs do what entrepreneurs do best solve unexpected problems in their business. We were completely wrong. And I'm just like, it's not selling. It was like we have to start from scratch. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, the editor in chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. So I get this email asking if I want to talk to a seasoned FBI hostage negotiator who can talk to me about how to build rapport. And I think, well, that's interesting because, you know, that's an important thing for any entrepreneur to do, to build rapport. And he probably has a really interesting approach to it because, well, I mean, you can imagine what a seasoned FBI hostage negotiator is like. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we, we got on the phone. And there are a whole bunch of IT issues. And so it takes a while to get going. And here's what that sounds like. But well, actually. Talk here on Zoom.
1: Sure. Okay. Well, All right. Sounds uh, it works for you.
0: <laughs> Do you hear that? Friendly, laughing, having a good time. So I, I told Chip once we finally got going, I have to tell you, Chip, I expected you to be a more serious and intimidating person. But when we started this conversation, you were full of smiles and warmth. Not what people expect from a former FBI hostage negotiator.
1: Well, that and that probably brings us to the topic of the whole thing: is building bonding and rapport, and that's the job.
0: So, anyway, with all that as a (laughs) lead-in,
1: let me introduce you to Chip. Yes, my name is Chip Massey. I'm a former FBI hostage negotiator. I spent the past 22 years working for the FBI as a special agent slash hostage negotiator, and my the field office I retired from was the New York City field office.
0: And what can Chip teach entrepreneurs about? How to connect with others and to do it fast and to do it purposefully.
1: Well, anybody out there that is working on cases, trying to gain statements, getting people to say things that they really don't want to tell you, and that's that's our bread and butter in the FBI. It's all about how can I get the information that I need from somebody who might be reticent to do so because maybe it implicates them, and you know maybe it it's an inconvenience it to them. You know, nobody really wants to be mired in a investigation have their name come up, right? It's it's something of a dark cloud. So you have to get beyond that and you, you have to build those connections. So the the bonding and rapport I think is huge. And that's really what we maximized on in Haas's negotiations. It was all about active listening. That's really the crux of Haas's negotiation from a pure FBI standpoint.
0: So that's what we're going to discuss today on problem solvers chip the very friendly FBI hostage negotiator is going to tell us about how to build rapport, build it quickly, get the information that you want and get your own information across something every entrepreneur needs and chip knows it better than anyone coming up after the break. Change is coming and so is my book, Build for Tomorrow. Because here's the thing, everyone's work and lives are changing, and I realized I was in a unique position to help. Through my work at Entrepreneur and as host of this podcast here, I've seen how the most successful people are adaptable. And so I spent years processing what they were doing, how they were doing it, how they learned to navigate moments of massive change. And I developed an action plan full of stories, lessons, exercises, and tactics to help anybody build a better future for themselves. My book, Build for Tomorrow, has been endorsed by a really incredible range of folks, from Netscape and Andreessen Horowitz co-founder Mark Andreessen to Real Housewife star Candy Burris. Because if anything is universal, it is the crazy experience of change. If this sounds useful to you, I'd be honored if you bought a copy. And if it sounds useful to someone you know, then please tell them about it or, hey, get them a copy. You can find Build for Tomorrow wherever you find books, or you can go to jasonpfeiffer.com slash book to pick up yours. Again, jasonpfeiffer.com slash book. Think about a bicycle. It takes balance to get where you want to go. Now think about business. Whatever your business or organization, you ride the line between numbers and people. Just like the bike, it takes balance. C-L-A. CPAs, consultants, and wealth advisors. That's C-L-A. We'll get you there. Clifton Larson Allen LLP. Investment advisory services are offered through Clifton Larson Allen Wealth Advisors, LLC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. All right, we're back. And now let's just jump into my conversation with Chip Massey. So Chip, I want to talk to you about what you learned that can apply to entrepreneurs who are in very different kinds of contact with folks but let's start with where i think most people understand hostage negotiation which would be what they see on television sure the only time in which i have personally witnessed anybody negotiate with a hostage which is a fake negotiating with a fake hostage on television how is that different from in real life
1: it's a in real life it's a much slower process mm. right and it's it would almost bore you right that and that's our hope our hope as negotiators is that this is one boring, long, hopefully not too long conversation. And when I say conversation, it's really one-sided. Our goal is to get the other person to talk. Just like you, Jason, right? Your job is is to pull out those those nuggets of information, get the guest going to a point where you can fine-tune it and distribute it out to the people that will gain something from it. Well, our job as a host negotiator, my job was to was to allow them to feel comfortable with me. That's the first step, bonding and rapport. So How do you do that? How's that done? And the first steps of that is I have to allow that person to see me as somebody that they could potentially trust. Not that they're going to immediately. Nobody's trusting anybody, right, from from get-go. But our science tells us that between 15 and 20 seconds, we have that time frame window where somebody, after they hear us engage with them, they'll consider us as possibly, possibly somebody that they could trust down the line, which is all we need. That's what we want, right? We want that entree. And once we get there, then we're able to build on that. And the idea here, if we were to connect that in the two worlds, if you think about it, it's all about gaining that person's trust. So how do how do entrepreneurs do that? It's the same way, really. And it's it's interesting, uh, Jason, is that when my business partner Adele Sears and I, were we were talking about the the differences of the two worlds. And she, she brought to my attention, you know, when we were breaking it down, she, she said, you know, it sounds like most of your conversation with, with hostage takers was, was over the phone. Is that right? And I said, yeah, absolutely. It's over, easily over 90%. I never had a line of sight on the other person. So it was my job then to connect to that. How do you connect to somebody you can't see? So it's all about the voice, right? Hmm. It's the pitch, it's the tone. It's the cadence. And then somebody's going to make a decision as they listen to you. It's like, hey, OK, this person sounds like they're trustworthy. They sound like somebody I could be comfortable with, sound like somebody I would build a relationship with. So what you're trying to do and the thing that that we say now, uh, Jason, and because and, and, really negotiations is a misnomer. It's it was never a negotiation. I never said to somebody, hey, you got seven hostages in there. Tell you what kill three, give me four, we'll call it a day, right? That was never going to happen. It was never up for the debate. I'm always going to get that guy to do what I need them to do. So how do I get that guy to, to put his gun down and surrender to me? Well, it was by making him value what I wanted him to value. So it, that had to change. It had to change over, over the course of that conversation. So he started out with, you know, I need a jet and a million dollars. How about this can go several ways, not all of them good for you. And what I want to do today is I want to make sure you make it out of this alive. That's where I'm going to work him toward. It's a progressive and gradual step. But my job first is to de-escalate. So I'm using all those techniques to bring about a calmer mindset. Because when people are stressed, as you know, they're in that primitive brain, right? That's, that's fight or flight. And it's, it's great, you know, if you're trying to run from somebody, it's horrible in a business context. And unfortunately, our brains don't know the difference. They can't differentiate between what is a hostile environment where my body is in danger versus the supervisor is yelling at me again, and I'm getting stressed. But that's exactly when you, you need those analytical powers, right, to think. So all things degrade when we're under stress. We know that, right? We, our thinking slows down we our analytical brain goes away our hearing is going um fine motor skills degrade and so you've got you end up with somebody with tunnel vision doesn't hear that well can't manipulate a cell phone yet has to think about these higher level things it's horrible so that's how that starts and there's different ways of connecting those two worlds right so so you were going to say something Jason I'm sorry
0: no well I was going to I was going to bring you back as a really nice tangible space to focus on to the first, what did you say? 15 or 20 seconds where someone's going to make a decision about whether or not they trust you.
1: Exactly.
0: Entrepreneurs understand when they go into any kind of meeting or pitch, we've heard it enough, even if we don't have the science behind it, that in X number of seconds, somebody makes a first impression and whatever happens after that is going to be built off of what somebody thinks. So You talked about the tone of your voice, but I'd love to also hear about the words coming out of your mouth. Because for the average entrepreneur, I will tell you in the moment in which they are in front of somebody, they know how they have a very limited amount of time. The instinct is to just cram as much information as possible into the fewest number of seconds so that they just get it out and say, here's who I am and here's what my value is and here's what you should... right." And, um, And that probably changes tone of voice in a way that is not very good. So What are the things that you are saying in the opening seconds of an engagement where you need to build rapport fast?
1: Yeah, excellent question. Thank you for that, Jason. I appreciate it. So the idea here is that it's no longer, when we're talking about in this context, you're no longer dealing in a crisis event, right? You're not trying to deescalate the VC. Your job is to communicate trust and value to that person and that you are somebody worthy of that. So we call that forensic listening. And the idea, there's a difference, right? Active listening is what you say during the conversation. It's what the things you pick up and things that you say. Active listening is examining the conversation after it's happened. Forensic we, listening. Forensic listening, exactly, thank you. you. You would say,
0: you would say active okay. listening the second time. Okay, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: So thank you. Forensic listening is taking a conversation and then breaking it down. And you can do that in real time. It takes training to do that. But you can absolutely do it. So in in your case in point, an example I I have for you is I was tasked to go to interview a former cartel enforcer. We were investigating a rival cartel, and we knew this guy had information that would be great for us. So he had eight bodies on him, Jason, right? I mean, the guy was never going to see light of day. So I was going in essentially empty handed I know I didn't have much to offer him. So I'm talking to the guy. and Rather, he comes out of his and comes into the room. And he's sitting across from me, and he never once looked at me upon entering that room. He sits down, and he picks a point over my right shoulder and just stares off. And so I said to him, listen, we'll call him Marco. I said, Marco, listen, I, you know that I, I can't do anything about your time. Your time is your time. You've got, you've got eight murders on you. He said, but what about this? How about, you know, I, I, I need some information. You have it what if I improved your cell condition? What if I could help you there? Would that be of interest to you? Nothing. No reaction. I said, well, listen, we know that you're living here right now, but your family is across the country. How about if we got you to a prison system that was closer to them for visitation purposes? No reaction. So I'm like, okay. So now I'm thinking about it and I'm looking at this guy and how he came in, how he presented himself, right? I mean, he, Jason, he was meticulous. He is, not a hair was out of place. His jumpsuit, even though, you know, it's prison issue. I mean, it looks like it's pressed. And he's sitting there. He's, he's, and you can tell the way he's moving. He's very meticulous about the way he conducts himself. And I thought about the investigation and things that I had uncovered. The way he went through it. He eliminated people. He killed people as a, almost like a cost-benefit analysis, right? He was doing risk work. And every move he made, Enhance the value of the cartel and ex- allow them to expand territory. So, in terms of that, his moves were really incredibly uh, sharp for what he needed to do and accomplish. So, I was thinking about that. I was looking at this guy. I'm thinking, all right, let me try this. I said, listen, you obviously have nothing to say to us, and I'm sorry this is waste your time. But I just wanted to tell you that I, I've studied you and I've studied the way you moved, and I know the hits that you made, and I have to say, respect. Because I, I know that each time you did it, you did it for a reason that, and improved the coffers of, of your organization. So I just wanted to leave by saying that. And as I was getting up, the dude changes his gaze, looks right at me, Jason, goes, ask your questions. And so what I knew from that point was that this is how he wanted to be viewed. He wanted to be seen as almost a business consultant, somebody that had expertise right in this field, somebody that, that had value still to give. He knew his business and he wanted to be seen as such. So it's like what we do with forensic listening. We are doing that. We're pinging. All right, I'm looking at him. I'm, I'm looking at everything about this person. What are they trying to tell me about themselves? You know, this guy's put together, sharp, right? Other people want to be seen as likable. Maybe somebody wants to be seen as a hard case. And often is what we in encased in this, un, in the, Forensic listening, Jason, is what we call the unstated narrative. And that is the disconnect between what somebody actually believes about us and what they're going to say. We live in a world where we can't just say what we think. You know, we shouldn't. We would never survive it. But in a business context, it is such a value. If I can get to that person's unstated narrative, maybe there's a reason why they're not buying from me. Maybe there's a reason why they're they're not going to pick up my idea. Well, if I can get there and I can. I can figure out what that is and deal with it right here in an indirect way, address it, make them feel more comfortable, the doors open up.
0: Chip, I want to ask you a level deeper there on the unstated narrative about how to try to understand what somebody's unstated narrative is. But before I do, I'd want to point out just such an interesting gulf between the scenario that I laid out in the question that I asked you and then the scenario that you responded with. Because what I had asked you was about what to do in those first few seconds. And I said that entrepreneurs will often just try to shove as much information into those few seconds as possible. They want to deliver things. And in doing so, what they are doing, I didn't really think about it when I was asking the question, but now as I was listening to you, I realized that they are in broadcast mode. They are here to send information from one side to the other. But the important point that you have made is that even in an initial interaction where you are talking first, where you haven't gotten anything from the other side yet, you can still receive some information and treat it more like a conversation where you're building off of something that you're getting from them so that you aren't just shoving your information at them, but rather you are customizing your information into a hopeful exchange. And... You're nodding, so I'm guessing that exactly. I said something correct here. And so the question is well, how, how do you start doing that? How do you start to mm-hmm. gather information? I mean, the, the, the explanation with the cartel guy is great and really colorful, but replicate that for me in sure, a business. Absolutely. Sense.
1: And we teach this skill set, forensic listening, to startups at a business accelerator. So the idea here is that that's right. These guys are trained to throw it out, right? Vomit it out. And hope some of it is acceptable. And it's exactly the wrong thing. Now, they expect it. The other side expects that performance to happen. But how do, we, how do we engage with that person on the level that they really need to hear it? And it's like you just stated, Jason, is that you're going to be looking for things that you know about their background. Now, that's why due diligence is so important. You need to do your research on who you're going to be speaking to. You should know a lot about that those people that you're about to meet with as much as you can. That's not to say you're going to bring in, oh, you know, hey, I, you went to this college, you know, my friend. It's not about that. What you want to understand is like from that cartel experience, you want to know, is there something that I can piece together from, from what I gathered that would help me connect other things to them? So it's going to be more about, you know, the amount of, Perhaps projects they picked up last year. What were the big ticket items that that seem to have taken off? Would it make sense to use those and to use that kind of? We are similar to this organization or this kind of uh, group that you know you might that you're working with right now. Absolutely, it gives people a comfort level. It's like okay. And what else does that say? It's hugely flattering. People want to know that you've had you spent some time. Understanding them, understanding what motivates them, what brings them about. And whenever we do that, we're building, again, that bonding and rapport. We're connecting. And it, when we connect with people, Jason, on an emotional level, it's almost like a shortcut. It really takes out hours from the amount of time that you would spend, you know, trying to do it another way. It's those things that the brain attaches to in such a strong way. That's why we we used it uh, constantly in negotiations. For example, one of the things that we identify as emotional label. And that's when I say, you know, somebody is, you know, perhaps I, I hear that they're they're somewhat disappointed in what I'm in something I'm saying, right? Maybe to him the right way. And I see a little look on them. I'm like, you know, I'm I'm guessing that you were, you were expecting me to, to say this or that. And maybe you're you're a little off put by that. And I just let it float out there. And by doing that, I'm gonna read them. I'm gonna see, does that hit? And if they say, no, it's not that I was disappointed. It's more like it's, eh, what does it mean for me? Like, okay, all right, I get that. And then, so not only do they show, does that show I'm engaged with you, but it's also going to show that I'm sharpening my ideas now. You have given me a, a locus now and I can, I can hone in better, deeper because of that.
0: We're going to take a quick break, then more of my conversation with Chip Massey. If you're a business leader, there are things you love doing, like building great things and serving people. And then there are the things you hate doing, like inbox management and project follow-ups. Did you know that delegating those tasks could help you reclaim an average of 15 hours every week? It is time to focus on your strengths and delegate your weaknesses. Belay has been helping busy leaders do exactly that. They're helping with their staffing solutions. They've been doing it for over a decade. Belay intentionally pairs clients with virtual assistants, accounting, and more. Great leaders, don't do anything alone. You have to find the support you need to delegate the details, and you can do that with belay. So get started now. Just text SOLVE to the number 55123 to get $300 off your startup fee for a virtual assistant when you schedule a call before August 31st. That's SOLVE, S-O-L-V-E, to 55123 to save $300 and reclaim 15 hours every week. All right, we're back. And now back to more with Chip Massey. A thing that I have come to say a lot, I must've heard it from somebody, I don't know, is that the number one thing that people want is to feel heard. And I feel like that is the theme of everything that you're sharing here, that when you approach somebody, even if you've got something to tell them, even if you ultimately want them to hear you, they're not going to hear you unless they
1: feel heard. Exactly. I mean, there couldn't be a more powerful point. And it doesn't matter the context you're in. We are as a race running around and we're just praying that someone engages with us at a level that that hears us. So when you're able to do that, when you're able to pick up the signs, when you're able to to see that person and engage with them at that level, it's like right off. You don't have to, you know, mince words. You don't have to do pleasantries. It's um, I'll give you another quick story, Jason, if I may, please let me know if it's too far. No, Um, uh, your stories are great. I'll take them all day. Uh, Okay, so we had this one um, arrest that we had to make in the Bronx. Right. Uh, Some years ago, it was a high risk fugitive. So when the FBI rolls out everything, it's it's a circus. Right. It's just it's nonsense. So you've got helicopters, you've got SWAT on standby, you've got the locals, ambulance, police. You got press now coming out. At any rate, so before all that hits, though, it's just you and the teams. So we went out. This was a lead from Philadelphia. The guy was high risk, gang affiliation, weapons, a lot of violence in his background. So we we go to his door. He's not home. Bad news for us, right? So we're doing the neighborhood canvas, and we finally get a phone number. Now we had to get you know authority to call the guy, right? Because the it, it's really a, a low probability of as you can imagine, to call the guy up and say, hey, listen, outside of your apartment, want to drop by. We'd like to arrest you today. Usually, they don't pick up on that. So we get authority and then I make the call because I'm the host negotiator, right? i like, Chip, you're a good BSer. Why don't you call the guy? I'm like, it's not BS. It's a science, but whatever, right? <laughs> sure. So I get on and I know I, I, it's a low probability, but I call the guy. So, and, and here's the thing I'll, I'll, I'll do, Jason, is um, the line opens up, but nobody's saying anything. So I let that sit for, it seemed like probably 30 minutes, actually probably about 20 seconds. And I'm like, okay. So I have to say something to the guy. So what do you what do you think I said, or what would you say, Jason, if you were in my shoes? High-risk fugitive, lots of violence, about 23 years of age, and he's on the run.
0: I guess the first thing that I would do is I would try to explain who I was in a non-threatening way. So the first thing I might just say is, I just want to talk.
1: All right, you did better than I did, okay? Because <laughs> here's what I said. I said to the guy, I said, call him Jeff, said, hey Jeff, my name is Chip, and I'm from the FBI, and I'm here to help. And I just let that sit, right? So, mm-hmm. so what am I doing there? I'm I'm letting my voice, you know, control that. I am, I'm trying to show him that I'm using empathy, right? I'm trying to convey all these things to him to let him know it's okay to talk to him. And I hear nothing, so I wait again. Seems like thirty minutes, twenty seconds, and I've got to say something else. Let me throw it to you again, Jason. What would you say now? You still haven't received anything any verbal, you don't even know it's, it's him on the line. Right, right.
0: You don't know anything. You don't know if there's anybody there. I guess the next thing that I would do is I would try to say something to just prompt any kind of response to make sure that I've got a human being on the other end who is responsive to me. So I might, again, just try to say something really innocuous, like, how are you?
1: Okay, okay, there we go, right? All right, that's it. And here's what I, I chose to say, and that would have worked great, Jason. I said to him, Jeff, How bad does your life suck right now? Oh, that's even better. That's much better. Right. But you're you're saying that for a reason, right? Why? Why are you saying that's better? Because? Well, I'm
0: saying it's better because it's guiding. Mm -hmm. And because something that I've learned as a journalist is that one of the best kinds of questions that you can ask, and I have employed this in our conversation today, is to float a theory. It doesn't matter if the theory is right or wrong, but people respond to theories. One, it makes them feel heard. It's like it's saying, I've listened to you. I understand something about you and I'm proposing something to you. And number two, the theory guides their answers. So now instead of giving some kind of lame blanket answer to something, they are now responding more specifically. So that is what you did. The theory is his life sucks right now. The question is how much? It's a
1: more compelling question. Mm, okay. And we did just exactly what you said. It's meeting people where they are. Mm-hmm. I had an understanding, a deep understanding about what his life's like as a fugitive, right? When you are on the run, it's chaos every day, right? Because you don't know where you're going to lay your head at night. You don't know who's going to drop a dime on you. You can't call your mom because we own the phones. You can't use your ATM card. We got that too. So, And your head is on swivel the entire time. And you're always worried about what if you have an encounter with police and they run you and then it could turn violent and dangerous and they know that. So my job then was to make him feel like I understood it and to, again, reinforce it in his world. Like, I know how bad that is, right? There's a level of of sympathy to it. There is. And to do so using the empathy. And that is without judgment, right? Mm. Mm. So I have to be able to engage with this guy and I can't say, listen, dirtbag, right? That's not, that's not going to be helpful. What I say to him is, I know it's dangerous out there. And I know you're wondering right now is, are you going to survive the next day? And here's what I said after that, because he said nothing to me after that. I said, listen, and this is where I, I started with the emotional connection. I said, I'm, I'm looking down the street and I see a pizza shop. And I'm wondering if you have got a good slice there and whether you what were you, like a cheese sauce ratio kind of pizza, what'd you like? And I let that hang, nothing. And then I said, and I'm looking at the telephone lines here and I see a lot of sneakers wrapped around there. And I know that means something here. And I'm wondering if your shoes are up there, Jeff. And I'm wondering what happened that day, nothing. So then I went right to it, Jason. And I said, hey, listen, I'm here today and I'm going to guarantee your safety. I know everything about you, Jeff. I've studied your case. I obviously know all about your neighborhood and you're, who you're around. I said, I'm going to be on this subway platform for the next 40 minutes. And when you come off that subway, I'm going to shake your hand and I'm going to guarantee you safe. And I'm going to take you through the whole process from soup to nuts. And I'm going to make sure you're okay today. And we're going to bring this all to an end. And I'll see you soon, Jeff. How's that sound? Nothing. And the phone goes dead. So here's what happened next. I get a call. Said Massey, "We're cutting your team in half. We're taking away all your resources. Oh, and by the way, we want to see you at the office when you're done." Because I figured, you know, this is yeah, I'm going to get a ream out, right? Yeah. So
0: this does that. This does sound very television-like, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: right. It does. Right. It <laughs> does. It's not. It's not good news when you lose a fugitive, right? It's just not good. It's not a happy time. So what happens next is I'm waiting on, on that subway platform. 20 minutes later. This guy comes rolling off the subway car, puts out his hand, says, My name's Jeff, let's get this over with. Wow. So it is in that context, and this is the thing we always tell our when we teach us in corporate is that if it works here, if the skill set of, of listening to somebody and listening for that unstated narrative and trying to connect their world to your world and what's important to them and understand that every word they say is a clue that it brings you closer to where you need to be with them. And it's not about how can I get the most value out of this person, but rather it's what can I do together with this person and in a collaborative way and build something better. So that's that's why it works and why it's so successful because it it comes from understanding that other person's experience and what they're going through.
0: Chip, this has been... Absolutely. Tremendous. I appreciate your time and your stories and your insights.
1: Absolutely. It's been a pleasure, Jason. Thank you.
0: And that's our episode. I would love to hear what you think and maybe even about a problem that you solved. You can find me at my website, jasonfeifer.com. J-A-S-O-N-F-E-I-F-E-R.com. Also, I have some more useful stuff for you. I write a newsletter about how to future-proof yourself and become more adaptable and optimistic. I would love for you to sign up. It is at jasonpfeiffer.bulletin.com. Also, check out my other podcast. It's called Build for Tomorrow. In each episode, I take on some belief that we have that holds us back from progress and show you why it is not as bad as you think. Problem Solvers is a production of Entrepreneur Media and comes out every Monday morning. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Thanks to Deepa Shah for production. My name is Jason Pfeiffer. See you next week.